Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the role of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you enjoy this show, please tell a friend or colleague about it and help spread the word. If you want to also search for other episodes or learn about some of the other resources that are available to you, head over to theconsumervc.com. Thank you, Samit Shah, for introducing me to our guest today, Kelsey Marera, founder and co-CEO of Dope. Dope makes 100% raw cookie dough and real conversations that feed the soul. As you can probably guess, we talk all things cookie dough on this episode, as well as why Kelsey moved from Oakland to set up shop in Las Vegas, effects of COVID on her store and in e-commerce, and her mission and her experience on Shark Tank. Without further ado, here's Kelsey. Kelsey! Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I am doing great. With a greeting like that, it's hard to not be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Well, you know, it's also Friday. So what can you yes. do, right? Here, here. <laughs> so want to talk about the beginnings. You know, I know that you came from the tech space and you worked in tech for a long time. What attracted you to entrepreneurship and the whole food and beverage space as well? Yeah, I mean, working in tech was an interesting world. I certainly learned so much just about in general, you know, making incredibly difficult business decisions or strategy and how you think through things, which is like absolutely applicable to food and beverage and what I do now. So I learned a lot, but I think what I was feeling so constrained by was just the like stiffness of corporate America, you know, that it just felt like... Like the marketing needed to kind of fit in this little box. And I was watching what interesting stuff was happening with consumer brands. And as a just major consumer myself, always thinking about, you know, what was coming out from these more unique brands, what were they doing different? What was I attracted to about the way they were presenting themselves as a brand that was more unique and more out of the box than what I could do in my sort of like safe corporate bubble. So that was interesting to me. And I, I guess I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. So I never really had this like opportunity or option presented as like, oh, that's a route to go. I thought, well, that's for those people, you know, watching Shark Tank myself when I was younger, being like, oh, that seems cool for those people. And I just thought I would stay on the straight and narrow. But yeah, when I got sober in 2015, I just had this whole opening back to think about what I really love and what I want to do and what I'm passionate about. And I really love food and I love desserts and more than eating them. I love making them for other people and seeing like someone light up with the bite of what you've made. And I just thought, how cool would that be if that could be my world, if every day I could think about desserts and making people happy. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I also love making people happy, but it's great learning just more about your interest and fascination with dessert and just love that whole process. When it came to dessert specifically, how did you think about what type of dessert did you want to create and starting in cookie dough just for interest? Yeah. So when I was young, I always loved cookies. Like I would bake my mom and, you know, she's a great baker and a cook and chef. And she would be like, we can make any recipe, you know, pick anything from all these books. And I'm like, get, we have this cookie book called the big giant cookie book, you know, and it just had like a hundred recipes of different types of cookies. I'm like, let's do it. We got to make another cookie. I loved how versatile they are. And of course, like I love sneaking a bite of cookie dough and then baking some of the cookies. So when I got sober, I had also tried being vegan. I had moved to San Francisco. And of course that's like the thing you have to do when you move there is like try being a vegan. I was terribly shitty at being a vegan. So I was using butter, but not using any eggs. I was, I was like, I could give or take eggs. So I was using all these interesting vegan substitutes for 
or egg and one in particular flaxseed that I used all the time. So my cookie dough recipes were then like safe to eat raw and I could bake what I wanted of it. So I really just started getting to thinking, you know, people love cookie dough and we all sneak it like, you know, weirdos in our kitchen alone having one bite. And it's like, why can't we just go for it, you know, and to share it with people, to share it with a friend or on a date or, you know, share it with your family and be able to, yeah, have a bite of some cookie dough and, and bake some cookies as well. So I thought, let's try it. Let's see if anyone else likes it as much as I do. I love that. Yeah. Cookies and ice cream for me are my two favorites when it comes to desserts. That's just me. And together they work so well. (laughs) So well. I mean, and then there's cookie dough ice cream. I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. The options are limitless. And I mean, with dope, for example, like a cookie dough that's safe to eat raw, you can half bake it and like scrape it off the pan over some ice cream. That's the move. Just saying. Pro tip. Pro tip. So good. You heard it here first. Pro tip. That's awesome. That's awesome. So once you finally decided, okay, I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I'm going to start dope. Talk to me a little bit about creating your first product. Yeah. So it was, you know, the first bit into entrepreneurship. I was living in Oregon at the time, still working for Intel and that, you know, baking all the time after having just recently got sober, I started to bring in those baked goods into the office and you slowly but surely get the, you should sell this. You know, this is really good. Like you should sell this stuff. So I had started a small bakery at the time, a cottage industry, you know, straight out of my kitchen and experimenting with different recipes. We had an online store, but it was really like co-work and friends and family connections, ordering cakes and things for parties and whatnot. So I kind of got that first experiment of what it'd be like. But when I moved to SF and got this idea for cookie dough, it was really in February of 17 that I said, you know, I think this could be something. I had put the bakery to the side saying, I'll never be like, you know, there's all these world-renowned chefs in San Francisco and bakers. I can't compete there. But when the cookie dough idea struck me, it was only a few months before I actually launched it that I first said this could be a really neat thing. And I spent like nights and weekends for three months doing all like the license prep and like, what would I need to even, how would I make this? Like what kitchen can I get into? Um, and I luckily made it into a commercial kitchen in Oakland. The wait list for commercial kitchens in San Francisco, at least in 2017 was bananas. Like everybody and their mom wanted to be making some food in a commercial space. So it was a challenge just to get that down. But by the time I hit April, which was going to be the start of my sabbatical from Intel, I was going to get 10 weeks off paid. And I sort of was like, what a neat opportunity, though many people just use that time to like travel the world. This is a perfect like incubation period to see if I can get a company off the ground. And I don't even think I said to myself like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur now. I just thought I really like cookie dough and I think people will buy it. Like, <laughs> let's see if we can make this work. And it, it just feeds itself from there. You know, every step of the way from dope, you know, I still remember sitting there noticing or watching the sales as we had hit our first 100,000 to doing 2.7 million last year. It, it just is like surreal at each step that you, you just just continue to prove out this idea and grow it, but it's not really a, I didn't have an overnight switch that said like, I'm going to grow a multi-million dollar cookie dough company. It sort of like fed itself from the growth from that moment in April when we took a hundred pounds of cookie dough to Dolores Park in San Francisco. And I sold out in like three hours and was like, holy shit, people love this stuff. Like let's find more ways to get it out there. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's such a great opportunity with that 10 week sabbatical to actually use that time and it fully paid. I mean, that's just great. It really as like a testing period to see if this could actually be something. That's amazing. How did you approach 
when you decided, okay, you know, this is something that I want to pursue, how are you thinking about the actual dope brand and the positioning and looking maybe at the competitive set with other types of dough that's out there? Absolutely. Yeah. To be honest, I thought of it before I ever sold a scoop of dough. So we had a website, we had a, we had business cards. We were all wearing like legalized dope shirts that I had made, you know, so we, we fully gone in on all this marketing and, and branding and, and we was just me back then, you know, I didn't have any employees at the time. So yeah coming up from the beginning with like what I wanted this to be like. And I, I said from the start and the reason the name became dope is I was telling a friend, I just want to make a really dope dessert company. I want something that feels like a place you and I can relate with, you know, and millennial kind of age group, like something that really was an authentic, like fun, quirky, unusual dessert brand and um, started to develop that from the beginning. So it's always been one of the, I think strong points of dope is like having such a like visual and even in the way we communicate, like authentic way of showing who we are as a company and what we care about. The Dope for Hope initiative forming shortly after I started the company and uh, wrapping everything we do around being more authentic and knowing that life is raw and cookie dough can help. (laughs) So. Love that. Talk to you a little bit more about the Dope for Hope initiative. We'd love to learn more about that as well. Yeah, so Dope for Hope sort of my way of saying, I know I want to build something for good. These are the issues I care about. How can I get everything we do at the company to focus around it? And it's really around addiction, recovery, and mental health. So I have a couple of different things that we do. Most kind of forefront of it is the donation component. So donation, if you will. Uh, we, do, <laughs> we donate and full of funds. I can't help myself. It's a problem. We donate 1% of all of our sales to a nonprofit that focuses on mental health and addiction recovery. She Recovers is our new partner in that space for 2021. So they help women in recovery from addictions of all types and life challenges, life-saving resources. So they get 1% of all of our sales. We also give our customers a chance to donate their refunds. So we work in an e-commerce world. If in the event a refund is required and we have a 100% happiness guarantee for our customers. So if anything goes wrong where we need to provide a refund, we give them this option to receive the refund or have us add it to the donation pool for She Recovers, which has been another nice way to help our customers give back in what otherwise can be a kind of like negative scenario with a refund situation. So that's been really awesome awesome. We also have mental health days for our staff. So no questions asked, stay off if you need it. Kind of the recognition as an employer that like we have employees at our human and we all have bad days and we just want to respect that and like leave the door open for more authentic conversation with employees being able to say like, I'm having an anxiety attack or I have bipolar disorder and I'm having a bad day. I need the day off, you know, like whatever it may be, we get, get to know more about who's a part of our team and not make them like cough and pretend like they're sick to get the day off. So yeah. I love that openness that you have with your team. And also, you know, it seems like your team being allowed to be open and allowed to be vulnerable, allowed to kind of share how they feel. I think that's incredibly important and also probably motivating for them as well, just in terms of belief in your mission. And as well, that's great that you give 1% for the Dope for Hope initiative. That's super awesome. I think it's a big reminder that like people want to be able to talk about this stuff, you know, outside of even just my employees with vendors and other clients that we work with, the openness that I've had about my story and my journey into sobriety, I'm now five years sober. I talk about it all the time and we talk about it through job and it like, it puts this bridge out that says like, do you have something you want to talk about? You know? And then like, it's, we're on a business call and suddenly someone's able to share what's going on with their daughter or with their spouse or whatever's happening in their life that would otherwise be this like sort of shameful thing where people feel like they can't share the struggles that they've gone through and we're all going through something. So I think dope's big mission is to like 
just break the stigma up and remind everyone that it's okay to talk about the not so shiny parts of our life. Totally, totally. And I appreciate you also being forthcoming about your journey as well. That's really inspiring too. Would love to know as well. So you started the business in Oakland, right? I was in San Francisco, but making it out in Oakland. Yeah. It was me going on the BART with a wagon full of ingredients over to Oakland, making like a hundred pounds of cookie dough and barting it back to my apartment in San Francisco. So that was the beginning of dope. Yes. <laughs> That was the beginning of that's awesome. So how did you approach, I guess, sales channels and, and like maybe the DDC channel and retail from the very beginning? Yeah, I was kind of like, let's throw this freaking net out and do anything in the beginning. You know, it was like, I really wanted to see what stuck and then be able to analyze okay, like profit wise and, you know, business brand awareness wise, like what does make the most sense to continue? So I really spent the first two years with a heavy focus on like in-person experiences, you know, where could I get this like real mental memory connection of like, I went to a dope store, you know, I was in San Francisco on vacation with my family and went to Pier 39 or when we opened the San Fr- the Las Vegas store on the strip um, and lots of catering in the beginning, catering and ways to be out in front of, you know, Lyft and Uber would have me as like an employee treat day, at Twitter, Google, LinkedIn. Um, so you're getting all this exposure to these people in person and really wanted to build that that brand awareness with those experiences. All the while also starting up like, you know, you get your first call of someone who's like, hey, I've heard about your brand. I'd like to sell it at wholesale. You know, can you send me your price sheet? And I'm like, of course, I will send it to you right after this call, you know? And then I'm like, well, how to do wholesale pricing, you know? And you just figure it out and go and make it happen. So we, you know, we've been selling dope through Fire Pie Pizza in San Francisco for the last three years and did a lot of like, like exploratory work in in all these different areas. And things started to show themselves as the more promising ones. So for us in the beginning, storefronts were there. And then in 2019, we made the decision to make another channel, kind of get a more sizable portion of our business. The work we were doing with catering was so labor intensive. You know, you're going out, there's really a person having to go there. The wholesale side until you're in national distribution, you know, is a a harder thing to get at scale when you're doing sort of the one-to-one small mom and pop shops. So e-commerce felt really promising for us. And and we grew it just incredibly fast from the end of 2019. We grew it 100x by April. We were doing like 30 boxes a month in November of 2019 and 3,000 boxes a week in April of 2020. So it was a meteoric rise to try and figure out how to keep up with that. But we definitely felt like we found another great channel for us and we need to stay hyper-focused on these now. So a lot of the distraction stuff kind of shed away and it's like, let's make this really strong. With 2020, made the decision to close the storefronts and say, we got the brand awareness we needed out of these stores. Let's focus online. And now we get to put our eyes on what distribution will look like through retail, working on seeing what we can do with Costco, hoping to get in some doors there. But yeah, it's kind of a, try it, see what works and just being able to analyze the numbers as you go to make the best strategic decision for the business emotions aside. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it reminds me just in your story of going the wholesale route and kind of getting discovered. I had, who I know you were going to be on a panel the last one with George from Yellowbird Sauce and he was saying how Yellowbird was in a restaurant and they had Yellowbird on the table and the sauce, this was back in the very, very early days and the sauce just had like his phone number on it. And these two people from Whole Foods that were the buyers at Whole Foods saw the number and just gave him a call and it said hey like we love your sauce and you know wanted to see if you you know the wholesale about so it's like you know kind of similar there so, yeah it's yeah you never know who's gonna see your product exactly exactly so wanted to know why you decided to 
I guess, leave San Francisco and move to Las Vegas and everything that's happening that's exciting in Las Vegas? Yeah, Las Vegas was originally the focus because we were opening the store on the Strip. And I thought, we've got this big mission around addiction recovery and mental health. Like, where better to put a store than on like Sin City on the Strip? Like, let's do it. Let's bring this message to the people. So that was sort of my main focus was like, you know, for one, we knew tourist locations were great for us to just get such a high volume of new customers every month. In both stores, you know, it was 95% new customers every single month. So we were getting to have such a large amount of our customer base constantly move over and and thus we're exposing so many new people to the brand, which has served us well, I think, in e-commerce. You know, you've got a lot of those people that had the recognition of like, oh yeah, we tried that when we were in in Vegas. So that's why we chose Vegas originally. And then as e-commerce grew, you know, we built out our co-packer and fulfillment center are co-located here in Las Vegas. So now we've got even more reason to continue staying in the city. Uh, but we do love living here. My husband is kind of co-CEO with me. We live here and, and we love it. We do a lot of outdoor stuff. We live like 15 minutes away from Red Rock Canyon. So tons of awesome stuff going here and certainly kind of a buzz in different companies wanting to move here for the tax advantages and even for your employees that move here. You know, there's no income tax, you know, personal income tax that we pay to the state. So it's like a 13% raise if you move from California, which is pretty nice. So they're definitely more, it's a more advantageous state to live in for, for businesses on the tax perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I also love that you are also close to the outdoors. I'm a huge hiking fan and love getting out. So that's great that you have those opportunities. And um, yeah, I also love you walking us through why Vegas was the city to open your first store for dope. That's really interesting. Thinking about the actual velocity of people and the amount of new customers that you can get since Vegas is such a travel destination, or at least used to be a travel destination before COVID. Yeah, a little bit different now. But talk to me through why you decided to raise venture capital. So we haven't actually gotten VC funding yet, but we have raised 1.1 million in funding so far for the company, just angel investor and some silent investors. So been able to do that. Capital raises were in the past for um, our physical build outs, really. So we did our first very small raise, you know, I got $100,000 in 2017, only like four months into business. And, uh, you know, a partner at a, at a VC there who angel invests on the side had heard about dope. He said he like listens to the millennials in the office talk about what they think is cool and then and that they were going on and on about this cookie dough place. And so he was like, I just wanted to see if you needed any funding. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm much a believer of like, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in the world, like right energy is going out, like awesome stuff comes in right when it's supposed to. And uh, he had reached out literally like the day after we heard from Pier 39 that there was a store becoming available on the pier and would we be interested? So I immediately was like, whoa, I need to raise, you know, capital. I'm going to need $60,000 to buy out this space and I'll need some money to do the renovations though that was like scrappy days so my renovations were like me on a ladder peeling wallpaper off (laughs) but I still I needed the funds so him reaching out you know just that next day was like very serendipitous and he was willing to give me a hundred thousand dollars at like a 1.4 1.4 million valuation back then, just four months into the business. So the momentum just kept going from there and raised the next round for the Las Vegas storefront, 500,000 and, and raised another 500 when we were needing inventory investments to grow this e-commerce side. So yeah, now we're raising again. It's time to grow. We've proven so much in e-commerce that we've, we're just kicking off a round for 2 million to do growth marketing and uh, the wholesale launch that I mentioned with Costco. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I appreciate you walking us through. 
congratulations as well on the whole start with Costco. That's huge. That's super awesome. I mean, congratulations to come. It's our plan. We're going to make it happen. I'm visualizing it. Uh, we don't have a signed deal yet, but yes, that's the path we want to go down. I like, like the idea of trying to do something, you know, more exclusive with a partner like that than in every Kroger and Safeway and all that. I think we've got an interesting product to do something in bulk in Costco. So we'll see if they're listening, call me. <laughs> exactly. So if you're a buyer at Costco, <laughs> what's up? Yeah. What's up? You know where to catch Kelsey and check out Dope for sure. So you went on Shark Tank. I would love to also hear a bit about that experience. Yeah. Shark Tank was pretty surreal. I'm not going to lie. Both in getting accepted to the show, you know, filming the show and then actually watching yourself on TV. We had like a, a viewing party with employees and family family and friends. And it was so surreal to see, you know, even like the preview clips as the episode's starting where they're showing what's to come and it, me being like world cookie dough domination, you know, <laughs> <laughs> super fun, a very, very crazy process. You know, it's, it took six months just to get the like, yes, you're actually chosen for the show. I did a casting call in San Francisco. So I straight up like sat on a curb and waited at 6am in the morning to get 90 seconds with the producers and do my pitch. They got to try the product. So it quickly lasted longer than 90 seconds because they're like this is so good like called the executive producer over to come and start eating some and I'm like okay this is a good sign like they're still eating it and I'm still in here and it's definitely been more than 90 seconds so yeah that first casting call went really well and I got callback and then you know video submissions from there about 100 pages of paperwork from there you know it's a very lengthy process to be selected to film they film I believe around 160 entrepreneurs and there's like 120 that will air in a season so even if you go down to film all all the work that's gone into that, uh, you might not actually air on Shark Tank and you'll never be able to speak about your experience, which is like mind blowing, you know, and, and soul crushing. Cause like, you just can't imagine like how much anxiety and stress goes into this whole process. And I mean, I was like back in college, you know, I was flashcarding all my numbers. I was studying like crazy so that I would, you know, I was determined I was not going to be one of those entrepreneurs that gets up there and doesn't know what's going on with your business. And uh, I just knew my numbers front, back, forwards, upside down. And I, I knew where I wanted to take the company and I just felt so confident in it. So very proud of how it went down. And um, I've only been able to rewatch it once because it's awkward to watch yourself on national television, but a very, very cool experience. That's awesome. That's so great. Congrats again. I mean, I can't imagine how many companies apply to get on Shark Tank and to be selected and also be aired. That's just amazing. That's super cool. It's 40,000 to be exact. Wow. And there's like 120 that will make it. So. Wow. And then how many 120 make it? Is that for on that that are actually on air for a season? Double air. Yeah, I believe it's about 120 that air. Wow. That's not many. That's crazy. So what has been the effect of COVID on your business? Because I know you have the Swarm Vegas, but a D2C channel seems to really accelerate like a crazy amount. So I'd love to kind of just hear about that. Yeah, I mean, we had really the feeling those ups and downs of the year, right? Where it was like the human element of, wow, we have to lay off our staff, you know, the storefront closure when the quarantines all went down in March, you know? So it was like this abrupt, like, okay, we got to pack everything down. And we had been doing graveyard shifts in the store for e-commerce packing. So it was also like, oh shit, like e-commerce is still growing. And now we don't have a place to produce our dough anymore. 
anymore. We've had to find another commercial kitchen with like 24 hours notice to move all of our stuff to and, and keep running because like the orders weren't stopping. You know, we didn't have a week to pause our online store with Shopify. So we just now we're no longer going to have a physical physical location. So there's sort of this like, yeah, ups and downs of like, wow, my store is no longer going to be seeing people, but our online is doing so well. And like, how are we going to serving it? Um, how are we going to grow our fulfillment operations to keep serving? We ended up outgrowing that um, facility and moving to another facility all within like the two months that the store was closed and then out to fulfillment centers from there because we'd outgrown our capacity here with our own staff. So again, this sadness of like, wow, we grew so fast. We needed to lay off some employees because we no longer were going to do this work, you know, under the company of Dope itself. So it's a weird position for, you know, entrepreneurs to be in there where you have to make these decisions for the company and it's the direction things are going. We did reopen the storefront and got to bring back um, some of our furloughed employees in June. But like you said, you know, the sales, uh, you can imagine with how tourism in Vegas has changed this year, we were a long road to recovery for those sales to return to where they were and were able to close the store and make that decision. So I always find in business, you know, it's very easy to be emotionally swayed. Like I love this store and it's so beautiful and if and when, and it could, and it's like, you have to get down to the brass tacks of how long will that be until it's at a healthy revenue state again? And how much loss would you incur in the interim? And, you know, the velocity we saw online, it just made the most sense to cut the anchor and and make the most going forward online. Yeah. No, yeah. I really appreciate you being so forthcoming about it. I mean, what I'm always curious is have the online sales, have that made up for maybe lost sales in retail? Oh, by and large. Yes. Oh, by large. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, for example, Dope did 1.2 million in revenue in 2019. And only of that, like 50,000, 60,000 was from online. The rest was the majority of storefront. We did 2.7 million in 2020 and only 150,000 of that was from our brick and mortar store. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's That's crazy. That's it's crazy. a giant flip, right? And everything. So absolutely had a big learning curve year of like, how are we going to optimize all this? But to be honest, like D2C is just, it's where I shine. It's what I love. Like, how do we have this customer journey, retention marketing? We get so much contact and connection with our customers. And that's like we talked about with building the dope brand. Like that's where we're strongest, you know, getting to get across who we are, what we care about, our story, the impact you're having by buying dope. And D2C is just like the dream space for that. So we've had a ton of fun um, learning and growing in that space and almost died with some of the operational learnings that it took, but we made it through. So yes, it's a, it's a wild world, but 2021 is a happier place to be. We're all set now. So that's great to hear. That's really great to hear. Yeah. What would you say is one thing that you would change in regard to the fundraising process? Hmm. You know, fundraising is an interesting world. And of course there's these like dark grim stats about female founded businesses that, you know, I think it's, in 2019 was up to a whopping 2.7% of venture capital went to female founded companies, which is just so sad. You know, it's just, it's a sad thing. And I think what I would change is likely a big cause of that. This need to, it's a who, you know, world. And if you're not in the right circles and introduced to the right person, you're likely not going to find that right VC. And it has been in the past, such a a boys club to break into. So in some ways it's like, man, if I could make like a match.com for VCs or something, 
Like I would just love, there is certainly a VC out there who is looking for exactly the type of company that Dope is, for exactly the trajectory we've been on and a female founded company and mission driven. It's just how to find them, you know, what's the perfect way to find that right partner. And that's been, you know, it's been a challenge. It's certainly, I know they're out there, but it's always a what doors do you have to knock on? Who needs to introduce you to who? So I think if I could change anything, it would just be easing that path of, of being able to get yourself out there to be discovered by the right VC partner. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's certainly something that we talk about on the show, just the numbers of companies that are founded by women that get invested. The numbers are just staggering in terms of how little it is. I mean, I think it's like, what, as you said, 2% or a little above 2%. And that's just crazy. And as well for other minorities too, it's just really bad numbers. So that's certainly something that we certainly need to improve in the ecosystem system. What is one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? Oh man, my personal and professional lives are so blended these days that I almost have the same answer. <laughs> I um, truly deeply like love this book called You Are a Badass. I read it. It's by Jen, Jen Sincero. Um, I read it shortly before quitting my job at Intel and taking the leap to go do this. A great book for kind of breaking up your view of, you know, the scarcity of money and that there's not going to be enough. And instead thinking if I'm doing what I love and what I'm passionate about, like the money and wealth will come. So I just really, I really credit that book with my mindset around having this innate ability to generate wealth and knowing that I will make it through and I will find the right path. Lots of, uh, I don't know, sort of the power of positivity thinking in some sense that you just you know you have the ability to do it and it's gonna work out if you're doing what you love so props to that book because it changed my personal and professional life love it love it that's great that's great you are a badass we'll certainly have to <laughs> check it out and you're also very original because you're the first person that brought up this book on the podcast so excited to add it to our book list that'll be fun right yeah how many times have you heard like good to great or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right? exactly the tipping point by malcolm gladwell yeah yeah, the most common is still Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog is like, yeah. I think you're going to be episode, I think like probably like 105 or something. And I think we've had Shoe Dog like 10 or so times. So it's pretty. It's a great book. I listened to it on audiobook. Yeah, I remember. Nice. Nice. So what's the best piece of advice that you've received? Mm, my Nana telling me that I should stop drinking probably was the best piece of advice. You know, she was 21 years sober when she passed away and um, about 20 years sober when I made the decision to stop drinking. So her advice to me of what life would be possible if I could get alcohol out of mine was the best. It changed my whole trajectory and it's why we are where we are today. Why dope even exists. Yeah. That's terrific and really inspiring. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super awesome. She was super awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. yeah. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Exactly. I mean, look what you built with dope. And I mean, this is just amazing. Very, very cool. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to see, you know, I think with alcohol, it was just so easy to coast. It was so easy to say like, this is good enough and I'm, I'm happy enough and it's fine. But it's incredible what was possible when I got that out and found that, you know, I had all this like energy inside to put towards something and really got to feel like, you know, there's more to who Kelsey is than just like, let's go try this new brewery. I'm like, let's go to this bar and just drink. It was so, so dull. You know, I feel like I really got to, I have this opportunity to live such a full life now. So it's cool. And dope. Yeah. Would have never come to be, I wouldn't have had the energy and focus and time. And you definitely can't have a bunch of hangovers. If you're trying to start a business, I'm up way early every day. So yeah, it's just, it's the propellant that let all of this come true. That's amazing. That's super awesome. So I would say, what's your one piece of advice for anyone that's interested in building a consumer product business? Yeah, I have a few 
tips. I've got a couple I think I would share. So I'd say, you know, the first one is hire for what you suck at. So as you get started and as you start to grow, like learn what those areas are that you're going to add unique value, you know, where you're really going to move the needle and hire for those other areas as it becomes financially available. Of course, we do everything. I had accounting day and marketing day and all that in the beginning, but as it becomes available, it's critical that you start to figure out where you're going to move the needle and where you should have an employee or an agency or, or consultant, you know, taking over another arm. Another one is to operate as if success is inevitable. I think dope has gotten where it is. Cause I, like I said, just have that focus that it's going to work out. We're going to make it happen. And, um, that pushes things in the right direction and excites other people. You know, you have to really believe that you're going to get this thing done to get other people as excited. So I think those would be my two big tips, but otherwise just get out there and do it. You never know until you try and you'll wonder for the rest of your life what if if you don't i love it i love it those are all great <laughs> pieces of advice i completely agree that's fantastic well kelsey thanks so much for your time this has been so much fun it's been awesome thank you for having me on happy to share my story and that costco buyer that's listening uh give me a call <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. if a costco buyer is is listening you know kelsey did share some important metrics and stats so <laughs> you know certainly reach out and there you have it. It was wonderful chatting with Kelsey. I highly recommend following her on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Barrera. You're also welcome to follow me on Twitter at Mike Gelb. For all episodes, please visit theconsumervc.com. Thanks again for listening, folks.